where Father Newhouse and I were seated across from the Pope. John Paul said his usual rapid-fire Latin grace before meals, and we tucked into an antipasto, followed by roast chicken with a local red wine. Conversations at John Paul II's table typically covered a lot of territory. The Pope was insatiably curious and used his mealtimes to keep himself abreast of new arguments, new books, trends in the world church, and people his guests thought he should meet. But the table talk seemed disjointed this time, as if the Pope's mind were elsewhere. At one point, Father Newhouse raised the issue of whether a thorough biography of the Pope wouldn't be a good idea, and whether I should do it, an idea I had broached with John Paul's press secretary, Joaquin Navarro Valsa, seven months before, and had talked over with Richard more recently. The Pope immediately changed the subject, as if this were something he didn't want to discuss. So the conversation drifted into other matters, with John Paul looking into the distance from time to time, as if pondering how to say something. Then, completely out of the blue, the 263rd successor of St. Peter abruptly and forcefully said to Father Newhouse, while glancing at me, You must force him to do it. You must force him to do it. It, of course, was the biography, and him was me. Richard said that he didn't think that any force was going to be required. I simply exhaled. John Paul II smiled. Later that night, after we had shared a scotch or two with Monsignor Timothy Dolan, the rector of the Pontifical North American College and our host during this Roman excursion, Richard said, You know, this is going to change your entire life. I told him I didn't think so. I'd do the biography over the next few years and then return to the life I was leading at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, the Washington think tank that had been my professional home since 1989. No, Richard insisted, this is going to change everything. He was right, if in that slightly exaggerated way that was one of his trademarks, and one of his charms. Becoming John Paul II's biographer didn't change everything, but it did become the pivot of my life. I began to see a lot of what had gone on before in a new perspective, and I gradually came to understand that I had taken on a responsibility that would define me in the future, in ways I could not have anticipated that December afternoon in Rome, when a nap seemed in order. This album of memories is one unanticipated consequence of that dinner and what flowed from it. When the second volume of my John Paul II biography, The End and the Beginning, was published in 2010, and I was promoting the book in its various language editions, I discovered that what my audiences most wanted to hear were stories. Stories about the man who had gone home to the father's house in 2005. Stories that would make him present again by rekindling memories or illuminating previously unknown aspects of his rich personality. That yearning to get to know more personally a saint who bent the course of history in a humane direction and to know him in ways that didn't quite fit the genre of serious biography struck me as the impulse that inspired the informal lives of the saints over the centuries. Responding to that curiosity seemed another way to honor the pledge I made to John Paul II at the end of his life, 
that I would complete the task I accepted at his dinner table on December 6, 1995. Doing so, however, requires widening the anecdotal lens and exploring how it was that someone who never expected to become a papal biographer became just that. When I finished The End in the Beginning, I had devoted two large volumes, totaling some 1,600 pages, to chronicling the life of the emblematic figure of the second half of the 20th century, and I thought there was no more to be said. My readers and my audiences taught me I was wrong about that. Just as I was wrong in dismissing Father Newhouse's prediction that writing the Pope's biography would change everything. John Paul II thought he was finished with poetry when he wrote his valedictory to Krakow, the poem Stanislav, en route to Rome for the conclave that elected him Pope. But